within a sporting organization, you often hear those stories about the players, coaches, and managers. But it's not as common to hear the stories of those individuals working behind the scenes. I'm Taiwo Adeshikbin, a sports journalist partnering with Arizona Sports Collective to share the stories of various stakeholders in the sporting world. Um, as I say often, we are very excited about being a NHL franchise in Arizona and being in professional hockey. But that's not what we stand for. We stand for making an impact. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it is core to what we want to accomplish. I'm speaking with Javier Gutierrez, the president and CEO of the Arizona Coyotes. You were born in Mexico, but moved to San Jose, California when you were five years. What experiences do you remember in Guadalajara? Well, you know, I, I don't quite remember Guadalajara as much as, as you know, I left when I was five and, and really I grew up in San Jose. So I had an experience of being an immigrant uh, to this country, uh, but, uh, but really being, being in the U.S. And mm-hmm. so my, my childhood memories are really about San Jose. Um, I saw San Jose grow. Uh, from being a really a a farm community and a and a vineyard community and, and farmlands and, and ranches, in fact, I saw my elementary school uh, being built out of an orange grove, and the reason I point that out is because at this point San Jose is the capital of Silicon Valley. It's the heart of the tech world and really the tech world of of the world and the tech industry of the world, and so it's it's strange for me when people talk about San Jose and Santa Clara County and Silicon Valley, and they talk about it in these uh, tech industry, you know, lenses. And to me, it was just this small town. It was a, you know, large, uh, you know, it was a long suburb from San Francisco to about 60 miles south of San Francisco. And it's, uh, I believe at this point, the 11th largest city in the country. And I played a lot of sports, soccer, uh, baseball, uh, football, ran track. And it was constantly being outside. Uh, I'm the oldest of four and uh, my three siblings, two sisters and a brother are also all athletes. In fact, they, uh, they all played college uh, athletics and, and I ultimately did not. So sports was always a part of, of our sort of personal narrative, but so was education. You know, my parents didn't go to college. Uh, my mom actually didn't, didn't really go to high school and, um, and, and get they emphasized education as, uh, as something that was going to be prominent in our household and was going to be focused on in our household. So it was always academics and it was athletics. And then it was always family. You know, we, mm-hmm. uh, we come from these large Latino families. My mom's one of six. My dad's one of eight. Now, you mentioned how your parents didn't necessarily go to college, but they instilled the importance of education. Growing up, what are some encouraging words they tell you to stay focused? It was, uh, it was always, you know, doodle, 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 which is translated to, you know, work hard, work hard, work hard. Uh, so it was always that. And there was always a sense that, uh, you know, we may be facing new challenges. We may be facing new obstacles, uh, but that we had the, the skills and the mindset and the work ethic uh, to mm-hmm. be able to overcome it. And that was one thing I did learn, especially from my father. Um, at one point, my, my dad was working a couple of jobs at the same time. Uh, he had started as a mechanic at the, the GM plant in Fremont, California, which is actually now the Tesla plant. And uh, mm-hmm. my mom was, was a stay-at-home uh, mom until my youngest sibling, my brother, 
went to kindergarten and she ultimately started volunteering at the school and, and then rose to become the head of the migrant education program for Evergreen School District, which is the school district that I had gone to uh, public school uh, up, until, um, up until high school. I, I went to the oldest high school in California. So I went to Bellarmine College Preparatory, which is an all-boys Jesuit high school okay. in downtown San Jose. So very so here in, in Arizona and in the Phoenix area, is, uh, Brophy Prep is, uh, is sort of an equivalent uh, high school. Was there a reason your parents put you in an all boys high school? Uh, there wasn't a reason per se. Uh, it was an opportunity to go to the best school in my area. And my, uh, they, they were highly encouraged by my teachers from junior high school who had, uh, had really supported sort of that same pathway for a number of their students. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about uh, several of them, uh, one of whom has gained a lot of national notoriety. His, uh, his sister-in-law is now the vice president of the, U- of the U.S., uh, Kamala Harris. Wow. So uh, her brother-in-law, Tony West, actually grew up in my neighborhood, went to the same junior high school, high school, college, and law school as me. And uh, so my uh, same, same teachers in junior high school encouraged him, encouraged me, encouraged several of us. Uh, to go to Bellarmine and, and really encouraged my parents to to push that. Um, it was a sacrifice, uh, you know, the, that high school, private school. My parents didn't necessarily have the means to, to have me do that. Um, the Jesuits were very kind to me and my family, and I was on financial aid and had a number of scholarships and grants and made that happen. Uh, but it was a sacrifice. Um, I, it was about a 40-minute drive from my house to, to my high school uh, there and back. Um, you know, there were many a times, especially when I wasn't able to drive, uh, that I would have to sit there. And that's why I got to know the Jesuits so well, because <laughs> they realized I was sitting out there for hours on end doing my Aww. homework and yeah. they just started inviting me in. And one of my proudest moments was uh, when I had the chance to, um, get accepted and, and did accept the, the chance to go to Harvard, uh, out of Bellarmine, uh, the Jesuits actually held a dinner for me and my family. Uh, to honor that. And it just sort of showed the, the type of relationship that they had built with me and my family. And uh, it was it was definitely a transformative experience. It, it put me in a very different socioeconomic situation. <laughs> Before we talk about your college experience, I'd like to hear how you discovered an interest in the sports business. At ACE 2, you wanted to become a Mexican cowboy. But as you got older, you even considered becoming a doctor and realized that wasn't the route. Tell me how it all came about. I'll be very honest. I, I, I couldn't have told you even a year ago that I'd be sitting in this role. Um, it wasn't something that I dreamt necessarily growing up saying, hey, I want to own a team or run a team or, or be in sports as my profession. I, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to, to make an impact. And when I went to college, I thought making an impact was, was being an elected official and being in the public sector. And really that's what I thought, uh, you know, thus when I was younger, I thought making a difference was being a doctor and, you know, helping people with their health and helping communities. And, and, and I felt very self-confident that I had the intelligence and the work ethic of becoming a doctor and making a difference there. And then, like I said, it evolved to thinking that I wanted to be in the public sector and, and being in, uh, in electoral politics. And uh, that's what I actually thought I wanted to do coming into college. And then uh, a good friend of mine, uh, who actually was the youngest mayor in the U.S. at the time, who I got to meet uh, when I invited him to come back and speak with students in, in college, he asked me to be his intern. Uh, so I did it for a summer. 
and I sort of learned what it was like to be an elected official and to be in government and to be in politics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still thought, yeah, I was the route. And, and yet he was the one who actually put me into the pathway of, of deal making and investment banking and finance. And really, that's I thought what I thought my career was going to be. Uh, but as what happens, and I encourage young people all the time, is you never know where your career will take you. You're, you're there, and, and, and we can certainly talk about the phases of, of career development that I encourage uh, young people to think about. Would you consider that experience to be the most impactful in helping you do what you do today? And I think there's a number, uh, clearly going back, right? There was the opportunity to go to a high school in which I, I could go in the comfort of my home and my family and the, and the friends that I grew up with, but to push myself into a very different, like I said, socioeconomic setting where mm -hmm. I could still succeed and I could, I had great both academic, athletic and, and personal development success. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, I may not be from this world or might not know people who went to these colleges or graduate schools or, or what have you, but I could, it could be a path that I could be, you know, down and, and succeeded. So mm -hmm. I think that was one. Uh, another one, again, was this opportunity to, to, to look at being in the investment space as opposed to in the electoral space. And then even when there, um, you know, I, uh, coming out of law school, which we'll talk about it, I, um, mm -hmm. it was the dot-com bus. There was a lot of uh, limited opportunity. We can certainly talk about what happened there. Yeah, I do want to know what happened. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I took some time off. Well, I initially went to law school as a, so I went to Stanford for, for law school. And originally I was going to be a JD MBA. And this was in the late 90s, in the middle of the dot-com boom um and uh it sounded it, it looked like everybody around me especially at stanford and silicon valley was was dropping out of school to go do a startup and make obscene amount of money and uh and of course i got lured away uh to do that as well so i ended up not doing the the mba and i took some time off and helped start an internet company with a number of friends um somewhat of an infamous story mainly because uh the, the founders of the companies one of whom was a friend of mine from college uh, decided to also do a documentary on themselves and their journey. Uh, you can look it up. It's called startup.com. So we were the poster children for the rise and <laughs> ultimately the fall. And uh, what happened is I went back to law school um, and I had gone to law school in large part because I was very interested in eventually being an academic and yet I didn't want to pursue a PhD. I had a standing offer to get a PhD at, at Harvard. My thesis advisor was the head of the in essence, the political science department at Harvard, who had uh, asked me um, when I was an undergrad, I was very involved in the issue of diversity in the academic ranks and having, you know, uh, diverse professors at places like Harvard. And uh, my thesis advisor said, well, you know, you, you, you critique us as institutions, why don't you get a PhD and become a professor? And uh, so I had that chance. And, and ultimately, I didn't decided to get a PhD, but I thought a law degree I could eventually teach with. And so that's why I went, but I, I, I honestly didn't think I would ever go to a law firm or, or go down that path. And yet uh, the dot-com bus happens. I come back, I have to finish my law degree. I'm set to go work in the corporate development group at Disney. And then that entire group got dissolved. And so I had to ultimately go to a law firm, which I did for about 18 months. And in the course of that, I started talking to people in various industries and uh, came across the low-income housing tax credit world. 
and realized that there were people out there who were making a huge difference in the investment world, but also transforming neighborhoods like the one that I grew up in that were uh, minority uh, neighborhoods that were diverse neighborhoods. They were emerging neighborhoods in terms of the real estate and the, the economic development going on there. And I was very intrigued with the idea of bringing institutional capital into those communities. So yet another door that opened, I, I moved mm-hmm. down to Los Angeles. I had a business plan in mind and I happened to finally meet uh, what would eventually be three of my partners out of New York who had been in the low income housing uh, space and then we came together and uh, we started private equity funds to invest in urban communities around the country and uh, yet another door that opened. And so that that's what happened. But, you know, the dot-com bust uh, threw a lot of us off in terms of our career paths. I knew a number of uh, friends uh, from college, from law school, from graduate school that, um, that went a different path uh, in large part because of, of, of what happened. And I think that's another thing that you have to be flexible, that your career might take you to places that uh, you, you never thought of. But even during that setback, an opportunity arose once again. During those hardships, what did you learn about yourself? You know, it was one of many instances in which you have to have that sort of inner drive and self-confidence that you're going to fail. You're going to, I mean, the fun, we failed. Right. And uh, we, we went bankrupt and I had to go back to law school and I was the president of my class. And yet I didn't graduate my class. And in fact, I felt like, uh, you know, one of those kids who everybody graduates from high school and they used to have to go to summer school to, to get your diploma. Mm-hmm. That, that was me. Right. I had to finish off my third year. And, and, and it just was a series of uh, my, my startup didn't work. Uh, the money I put into it from my my meager savings that I had made. <laughs> Uh, I lost it all. I was yeah. a creditor in my company. Uh, I went to law school. I had to, you know, be the, the the guy who had to just finish up. And then the job that I got went away six weeks after they, they gave it to me. So there were a lot of these sort of professional setbacks that you have to, you know, still maintain that self-confidence that uh, you can pick yourself up. I often say to my son, I have a 12 year old and I say, you know, what you realize in life is it doesn't matter if you fall, it matters if you get back up and how you get back up. And it, it, it takes a lot. You, you have to embrace the, the, the sort of disappointment that you have when you face those challenges. Uh, but you have to have that inner belief and inner strength and, and a plan. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, uh, coming out of that, it ultimately led me onto this path of investment management and private equity and fund management. And uh, that, that was exciting for me. That excitement and perseverance has led you to do incredible things, such as being the first Latino president and CEO in the history of the National Hockey League. How would you describe what it means to be a Hispanic leader in the sports business? I feel very honored. And every day, I don't take it for granted that I'm in a role in which uh, a lot of people have certainly opened these doors. And I start with actually my friend, my business partner, and, and the owner of the Arizona Coyotes, uh, Alex Morello, who is a trailblazer in his own right, as the first Latino owner in the NHL. And so I think back about uh, a number of people, uh, the, in individuals of color from, from various backgrounds uh, that have struggled and have persevered uh, to get to these roles of decision-making authority, both in sports and out of sports. 
uh, but I, I feel very honored to, to be in this role. And I also feel very excited about the opportunity to take this platform and this voice and, and to do for others. You know, there's an, e, there's a, an ethos in the Jesuit uh, world of being a man and, and woman for others. And I've constantly embraced that in, in all the settings that I've been in. Uh, you know, a lot of what I talk about within sports of the need to bring uh, diverse talent to the table, uh, I've been talking about in, in the, the investment world and the private equity world and the money management world for, for, for years. And so I feel like it's a continuation of the responsibility that I, that I have embraced to be uh, that voice at mm -hmm. that table. Um, you know, I have a very dear friend, actually my roommate from Stanford, who's an incredibly successful investor, uh, actually runs uh, Clear Lake Capital Group, where I was a uh, partner at before being here. And uh, it's one of the largest diverse owned uh, private equity firms in the world. Uh, they manage about 25 billion at this point. And he said something that has resonated with me, which is that uh, talent, in, in that case, investment talent, doesn't have a color, doesn't have a gender, and it doesn't have a sexual orientation. It's just talent. And what talent needs is an opportunity and it needs a platform. And when I think of my very short stint so far in sports, um, I see incredibly talented people that need that opportunity to sit at the table. And I also need to see that sports, sports leagues, sports teams, they need that talent at the table. Uh, I often use Wayne Gretzky's line of what makes him so great that he goes to where the puck is going. Well, where is the puck going in America? The puck in America, uh, where things are going in America, they're going young, they're going female, and they're going multicultural. Mm -hmm. And that's important for sports teams and sports leagues and, and our partners to all be fully aware of and to, and to do what they need to do to really go where that puck is going. Mm -hmm. And so truth be told, I took this job um, one, because it was a, a good friend of mine asking me to do it. Uh, and, and again, it's strange because he's also my business partner. We own a, a bank in, together in Southern California. But really what, where, he, where he really got me, as they would say, is he talked about how sports has a unique uh, power to convene and to engage and to inspire. And it gives you a voice. And he says, Javier, where you're at in your life and in your career, I know that that's what you want to do. And I know that you want to be doing things that are exciting and innovative on the business side, but you also want to make a difference. And sports gives you that opportunity. And aside from the Latino population, you said you wanted to reach the female and the youth. Why is that audience important? There's, there's two paths to answer that question. The first is it's the right thing to do. It's the moral imperative to give opportunity uh, to talented individuals who just may not be having it. That, that's just what we should be doing as, as a society, as a community, and those of us that have the opportunity to open those doors, that's the right thing for us to do. But I'm also gonna wear my private equity investment hat. It's the right business decision. If you look at America, if you look at where the growth is, if you look at what, um, you know, we often uh, in the investment world, when we're looking at a consumer company, you look at the age cohorts at kindergarten, at eighth grade, and as seniors in high school. And if you look at those cohorts in America, what do they look like? And they look young, and they look female, and they look multicultural. 
especially in the large, um, you know, sort of job centers and economic centers. And this is not to say that that's the only focus that you will have. I, I say often, you know, I'm focused on the coyote fan and the coyote fan in waiting. And the coyote fan in waiting is these non-traditional communities that I want to be engaged with. And I want to have a very intentional, authentic, and innovative outreach to. And to me, it's important as a businessman. It's not ancillary to the business. It's core to the business mm -hmm. because we are growing the pool. We are growing the pie. And who else wants to touch that growth cohort? My partners. You've been involved in a number of community projects in Arizona, but can you give me more insights about what these projects will look like? We want to be known for impact. We want to be known for inclusion and we want to be known for innovation. And so it's, it starts with saying, this is our plan. Second, you have to be authentic. You have to really be in the community. Uh, not so much asking what can you do for us, but constantly being mindful of what we can do for the community. And that's our approach is I want to know how can I be helpful? How can we be there for you? And I think it's been in particularly uh, an important question and approach rather uh, during this pandemic. It, it, mm -hmm. it isn't about, can we get you to buy a ticket? Can we get you to, you know, do a sponsorship? It's, can we work with you to add value to you and to support you? And that's what ultimately people will know very quickly, are you authentic in your approach? And finally, you have to be innovative. It can't just be about marketing. It can't just be about branding. It can't just be about uh, the, the, the show, as they would say. You got to really be thinking outside the box. So uh, I give the example, and, and we're actually replicating it as well for Black History Month, what we're in right now. But during Hispanic Heritage Month, one of the things I wanted to do is there were these very hard hit restaurants because of this pandemic. What can we do to help support them, not just in terms of giving them money or, or, or you know, to, uh, buying food from them, but let's amplify them. Let's put them on our, our channels. Let's bring media to their attention. Let's bring corporate partners to maybe work with them. It's let's use us as a convener to bring resources to these enterprises that need it desperately. That's a little bit of thinking outside the box. It would have been easy for me to just write them a check or to buy food from them. And, um, you know, I, I could certainly talk about our efforts to bring the sport of hockey in its various yeah. iterations to other communities. We, we have an incredible youth hockey uh, program and development program. Uh, and what I've challenged everyone to think is, let's go to where we've never been before. Let's do it in a way we've never done it before. And let's not just think about ice hockey. Ice hockey is the, the ultimate, you know, sort of part of hockey from a competition perspective, but there's street hockey. It's literally blacktop. It's a stick, it's a ball, and it's, it's <laughs> nets. You can do that in so many settings. And that's what we've started and saying, Let's just introduce people to the idea that hockey's fun and it's engaging and it's fast. It, it is the ultimate sport, honestly, for the social media age because it is fast, right? Mm -hmm. It is you. You can't. You can't like not pay attention. I have to ask: Have you ever played hockey? So I have not played hockey, <laughs> uh, but my first hockey game was in college, and I've, I've, I've shared this story. Uh -huh. And I, I was like asking myself because I'm, a, I'm, you know, I love sports. 
And yet I was like, why had I never, you know, been to a hockey game? Why had I never been involved with that? Mm-hmm. And it really hooked me from there. And then obviously the, the Sharks came to San Jose and I witnessed a, a, you know, a hockey town built from scratch. It's funny that you say that. When I played in Sweden, I went to my first hockey match ever. And I have to say it was such an electrifying experience. So yes, I certainly think even if one isn't interested in hockey, it's a sport worth checking out. What opportunities are available for Hispanics when it comes to working in the NHL and the Arizona Coyotes organization? I think there's significant opportunity and, the, and it is something that we are very focused on, on going after it just as we are actually for the female fan and for the casual fan and, and for other, uh, you know, communities of color in terms of the Latino community, obviously it's a huge part of the population here and it is a huge part of the growing uh, population here. When you look at, again, look at the demographics of kindergartners in Arizona, what do they look like and how do I get them to be exposed, not just to hockey, but to me as an organization. And that's what we're thinking about. And so uh, it again starts with us saying, it is on us to go to you. It is on us to extend our hand. It is on us to open the door. We can't just say, hey, we're gonna do things and you guys should come. The, 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 you, you know, if you build it, they will come approach is not gonna work in, in the Latino community here. So one of the first things I did uh, which, which some people thought it was a little bit interesting that I, as a Latino, would need a Latino advisory council. And I said, yeah, but, but I'm not from this community. I, I don't have the voice. I don't have mm-hmm. the understanding and the nuance. And, and so for me, it was important to bring leaders together, not just for what I needed from them, right, to be ambassadors and to embrace uh, the organization, but what could we as an organization do for the Latino leadership and the Latino communities here and to start thinking about what the needs are and what the goals are and what the issues are and how all, us as an organization can be part of the, the problem solving and part of the solution uh, of a lot of questions and a lot of issues. And so that was the approach that, that we've begun to take. And then you just, you, it, it's got to be constant. Right, it's it's got to be a, a constant cadence and conversation. COVID has been a very very limiting uh, factor for for a lot of things, but certainly in this outreach to non traditional communities, I, I can't have a, a, a cultural event associated with a game or a concert. Right, music, food, culture, those mm-hmm. are the things that will bring in. Uh, Latino community, as well as other non-traditional sort of hockey communities. And you can't do those things right now. I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we can't have that type of convening, um, but it's there. In terms of outreach, you touched upon how the virus has been a limiting factor. What other challenges are you all facing? Well, first and foremost is the pandemic, without a doubt. I mean, just it's hard it's hard to have these types of conversations and I think get people to see us in a different light without really being able to see us and without being able to convene. Uh, so that has been difficult. I think the other part has been that um, it, it is something that this organization hasn't necessarily done very successfully to go to sort of new places and to embrace them. And so you kind of have to get over a little bit of 
why are you guys here? And, and somewhat of, of the, the, the sort of puzzlement of what is it that you're looking for? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I think just creating that authentic relationship and connection. And by the way, you, you would be surprised that, um, I have been surprised rather, that the organization hasn't had a bigger presence in certain things. I, mean, I, I, I just had the opportunity to be at the Phoenix Open for the first time ever. And I know nice. it's in a smaller, you know, smaller number. And I just kept asking a bunch of these Thunderbirds saying, How, have, has, have the Coyotes ever really connected with you guys? Look at what you're doing. You're, you not, not only do you put on this incredible event, which is very impressive, but you give away a lot of money and you're really community leaders and you're, you're involved in the social you know, fabric of this, of this community. My organization is aligned with your values. Why, why are we not doing things together? <laughs> so it's not just in the, you know, call it the, the, the communities of color where we have to do this outreach. We have to do this outreach period in this community. For an Arizona sports fan, what message would you tell them about hockey and the Yotes? There's so much I would tell them. I'll start with the fact that uh, you just alluded to this earlier. Everybody remembers their first hockey game because it is an incredible sport, especially live. When you show up, I think it has to do a little bit because of the ice. It's like you almost feel a part of the game. Like mm-hmm. everyone's on <laughs> the ice somehow. And so uh, I, if you haven't been to a game, it will change your, your thoughts about sports. Uh, everyone remembers uh, their hockey game and they remember and they are embracing because it's fun, it's fast, it's about passion, it's about skill, but it is about just this, this incredible uh, passion that you see in the players and, 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 and in, the, in the stands. Uh, so we first start with, with that, that this is a great sport. Uh, but second, that uh, this is an organization that has a plan, has a vision, has a track record of success uh, with an ownership group that has decided this is what we're committed and dedicated to. And uh, we as an organization have that focus on winning on the ice and winning off the ice. And so that's why you should get behind us. Now, one of your favorite quotes, quote, to whom much is given, much is expected. In what ways do you live out that mantra in your daily life? I feel that I've had the chance to live the American dream. I'm an immigrant to this country. I came not knowing the language. Um, I, my, my mother left uh, her family uh, down there for the prospects of a better life for her children, uh, for, ed- to, for have them be educated, to have them have careers that are fulfilling. Um, so I feel very, very blessed that I've lived this American dream. And I then feel very, very, very focused that it's my responsibility to allow others and to give the opportunity to others for them to live their American dream. Javier, when you're not working, you said you enjoy spending time with your family and doing things your son likes to do. And what are some of those activities? Yeah, no, I I feel very fortunate. Uh, My wife, Jerrica, who lived her entire life, born and raised in Los Angeles, up until eight months ago, had lived there her entire life. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, I mean, she's just been the the, the partner uh, that I had always uh, dreamed of having, uh, the life partner who, you know, we walked down this journey together. And we were blessed, uh, obviously, with one son, uh, Javi, 
Javi is you know everything you would think of a seventh grader, right? So he loves basketball. He's mm-hmm. he's become much more of a hockey fan, as you can imagine. Oh, uh, nice. Much more. He's, I think he's got a, he's working on jersey number nine at this point that he's wow. that he's you know snookered me into to buying for him. <laughs> uh, so he loves that. But but you know he 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 loves basketball. He loves. He loves fashion. He loves shoes. He loves sneak. He's a huge sneakerhead. Uh, he, you know, <laughs> he built me out of money of, of like doing my shoes so that he can buy sneakers. <laughs> this is a kid who I think a, a, an ideal day would be if we could fly him back and walk up and down Melrose Avenue to all the sneaker shops and all the fashion <laughs> brands. This move, um, he, he's been able to go to a school that, that has been able to be in person and you know, built a really, really good uh, core of friends. And uh, so to me, nice. those, those that's what I enjoy. You know, we, we, we have one son, but we have huge families. He's used to having them all around. And I think once the pandemic is, is is under control, that's what we're looking forward to, to having more family come and visit us. Now, I don't know if this is fair to ask, but with your son loving fashion, did he help you pick out that outfit today? Uh, no, this is this is all my wife. Uh, my oh, wife, your wife, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, by the way, this is a daily occurrence. Um, people here have been shocked. In the middle of the summer when it's 120 degrees, it's a suit and tie. So my wife won't let me leave the house without a suit and tie. She just says, you know, you're you're professional. You better get used to that. Finally, what advice would you give your younger self? You will fall. You will fail. Um, Things you will make decisions that are mistakes and it's okay. As long as you're, as long as you get up, as long as you pick yourself up and don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the fact that you will make mistakes and that you will have to constantly challenge yourself and have the inner will and self-confidence. The other thing I, I would love to say to myself, and I say this to young people all the time, is it's okay to go down doors that you never thought you would, you would go. Uh, you never know what will happen. Javier, it's been such an honor speaking with you and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to uh, share it with you. And uh, go Yotes.